Great. I think someone's going to come and read from the Bible. Well, hey. Good morning, everyone. So we're reading Acts 2, 14 to 41, and in the NIV version. So, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him." David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father of He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? But Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amen. Great. Thank you. Well, it's great to be with you. Um, As you just heard, my name is Rob. I've got one wife called Christine. I've got two kids called Ophelia and Sebastian who keep me entertained. And I head up Christ Community Church in Attleborough 
um, involved in outreach at New Day as well and um, lead something called Who Cares, which I might share a little bit about later. And my story is that I was a church kid. I was taken to church twice on a Sunday. Um, My dad was uh, a deacon in a Baptist church. And I was quite sceptical of all things Christian. But more than that, I was really embarrassed of all things Christian. I just thought it was really lame. So I remember being in school where they'd ask you to, um, in an RE lesson, like, put up your hand if you go to church. And I, I, honestly, I died a thousand deaths in that moment. You know, sometimes I'd go bright red and not put up my hand. Sometimes I'd put up my hand and go bright red and I'd go, this is just awful. And I just, I just thought the whole thing was really, really embarrassing. Um, but I was also thought, I'm, I was also sceptical. Is it really, is it really true? And then my parents took me to a camp where someone did a series of five talks on the evidence for Christianity. And I'd never really heard anyone speak about the evidence before. And I remember getting to the end of the week almost kind of annoyed because I'd become convinced that Christianity was actually true. And I thought, this is awful. It's true. I don't want it to be true. So I kind of lived this kind of weird existence for about a year where I, I knew it was true, but I did not want to become a Christian. And so I would come to church and no one applied any pressure to me humanly, but I felt this extraordinary conviction, like just agony in church services. And I used to hate worship songs. I used to really hate them because they'd move me, they'd get to me, they'd get under my skin and I'd hate that. And I'd want to join in, but I didn't want to join in. And um, it all came to a head when my, my brother got baptized. And I remember thinking, oh no, this is terrible. He's a Christian. That means I've got to think about it again. And I remember going to his baptism service and um, they sung some really good worship songs and it was terrible. And, and I remember I was actually standing next to my brother's non-Christian friend who'd come to his baptism and we were holding the worship song sheet kind of sharing it together and I was holding it and I just started shaking and I was like, oh no, what's wrong with me? What's going on? And, and he had to take the, the hymn sheet and hold it for us. And I went bright red and I was like, what's going on? Like, um, and, but I managed to get out of that service without becoming a Christian. And I was like, phew, I'm still not a Christian. But then it was um, the next day, our church had planned an afternoon praise party in someone's back garden. And all, oh, the worship was annoyingly good. It was, it was brutal, I was, it was painful. And then they sung this song that I've, I'd never sung before or couldn't remember singing, and it had these words to it. I don't know why, I can't see how, your precious blood could cleanse me now, when all this time I've lived a lie with no excuse, no alibi. All I know is I find mercy, all my shame you take from me. All I know, your cross has power, and the blood you shed cleanses me. And that was like the final, the final wound to my heart. Um, I knew I'd been living a lie. I knew I had no alibi. I knew it was true and I was just resisting. And I, and I don't think I prayed the prayer that you're meant to pray at the back of the Why Jesus booklet by Nikki Gumbel. Um, I, just, I just went home and said, Jesus, I give in. I give up. I'm worn down. <laughs> I'm yours, I believe. Um, I'll follow you. And then, and then I realized that there were loads of great things about being a Christian. And I was, there was was joy. There was a relationship with God. And I thought, why didn't anyone tell me it was good? And of course they did, but I wasn't really listening. I was just so deceived by this idea that it was lame and it was embarrassing and it would be the most awful thing ever to become a Christian. 
And um, what I want to share with you today um, is just three things about the gospel. And that, to be honest, we, can, we see it in almost every, almost, you can see them in almost any text of the Bible. Um, it's that the gospel, um, and, it's, and it's what really about the gospel um, keeps us going, but it's also what gets us going in the first place. And so the three things, the power of the gospel, the destiny of the gospel, and the devastating beauty of the gospel. Uh, and we see them here <laughs> in this sermon um, that was read to us, um, but we see them in so many places. And they're the three things that keep me going. You know, sometimes telling other people about Jesus, there is a weariness that can sometimes set in. Um, and so I really wanted to answer that question, what, 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 what keeps me going? But they're also the things that kind of get me going in the first place. And maybe that's someone, some of you here, you, you know, you're, you're not quite there yet. Yeah, like, maybe you're like, me you, you you hate the worship but you love the worship um and so i want to talk about these three things so the first is this the power of the gospel the explosive power of the gospel we see that here in this story don't we it's crazy scene isn't it all these people kind of meeting with god and then a crowd thinking like what's going on are they drunk and and like thousands of people looking on the very first sermon um, preached in the history of the church um, by the disciples and it's an extraordinary response isn't it I mean 3,000 people getting baptized can you imagine that like even the logistics of that if any of you are administrators you're thinking like how did they even do it like, who did it? Like, like that's some organization. It's crazy, isn't it? You know, what, what like an explosive beginning um, in the story of the church. This extraordinary group of people who not only accept the message, but are willing to get plunged into water there and then. What power? What power is this in the gospel? And throughout the whole of the book of Acts, the gospel is sometimes described like it's this living power. So in Acts 12, verse 24, it says, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish, kind of like an organism living. Um, in Acts 19, verse 20, it says, the word of the Lord spread, spread widely and grew in power. There's, there's something here living. As this, and as the story of the church unfolds, the word of God is sort of described as this living thing, like a growing power, like an organism that's, that's growing growing but there were jesus told um give us other images that, that give a sense of the power in the gospel he, he 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 described the gospel message as a seed a seed that when when planted and finds good soil can produce a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown and um i'm not really into gardening i don't really like it we've got like in our house um like astroturf which I love because it means I don't have to mow the lawn. I just, I've got no, nothing, plants do not interest me really. But it's a powerful image of, of a seed. There is something quite cool. And I, even I can appreciate that. That like, it's amazing, isn't it? One seed can grow into an enormous tree. Like it's weird, isn't it? Like it's like that latent power that's in that tiny thing that when you just apply the right conditions to it, it explodes and it grows and it becomes something massive. And, and the gospel is like that. The amazing truth is that whenever we share the gospel, however badly we do it, we are speaking words of truth that have extraordinary latent power. The world's most famous evangelist is Billy Graham, not Billy Piper. 
um, Billy Graham, who shared the, has shared the gospel with over two billion people. That's crazy, isn't it? And he says this, I've found that when I present the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with authority, quoting the very written word of God, he takes that message and drives it supernaturally into the human heart. There's just such extraordinary power in the gospel. It disturbs people. It won't let them off the hook. Um, I've got a friend who was, um, as a teenager, um, was given the book, The Shock of Your Life by Adrian Holloway. Some of you may have read it. It's a book that's about what happens when we die. And it's pretty hard hitting with the gospel message. And um, he didn't read it. He was terrified of reading it because he kind of knew what it was going to say. And he knew it would challenge him and disrupt his, his comfy life. And so the book sat on his shelf. But simply by being on his shelf, he, w- he, was convicted, he became convicted of the truth of Christianity. It's just so, even, even, even that, so powerful. And the gospel has the power, doesn't it, to change the most messed up and guilty and screwed up life. Uh, uh, you know, as, as well as the most person who thinks they've got it all and think they've got everything they need. Um, a couple of years ago, our church invited a guy to come to share his story. He's called Shane Taylor, and he was once the most dangerous prisoner in the UK. Um, he, he stabbed people through the skull with blades. That's pretty, pretty grim, isn't it? And he, he was imprisoned and he was at like war with the machine, at war with the state, with the government, at war with everyone. And um, someone invited him on an alpha course in prison with the promise of free cake. That, that's dangerous, isn't it? Christians are always using food to bribe people. And they, he came, he came and, um, and he, he did an alpha course and um, God started speaking to him. And one day he... He hunted down the chaplain at the prison and said, you like, what's this all about? And the chaplain explained the gospel to him. And there and then he prayed, God, I hate who I am. Would you come into my life? And he went from being <laughs> the most dangerous prisoner in the most uh, secure prison in the UK to an exemplary prisoner helping others, teaching others. Amazing story. He's got kids now. He, he works for Alpha. He goes up and down the country telling people about what Jesus has done in his life. And we, like, there's so many stories like that, aren't there? I'm sure some of you have got, many of you have got extraordinary stories of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. But I, I love as well that the message of Christianity isn't just for the people who are maybe openly messed up, but people who think they've got it all. I've heard many people say, I thought I had everything in the world. I had friends, I was successful, but it wasn't enough. I knew I needed Jesus Christ. And the message of Christianity is so powerful that even if people will only stop and start thinking, uh, it's so persuasive. This is one of the things that always amazes me. It's really hard to get someone to come on an alpha course. Um, It's really hard to get them to be there, but once they're there, it's so amazing that you just say, you know, you talk for a little bit about Jesus and you get them to discuss and you sort of hold back from really arguing or persuading or saying anything and people just move. You can see that, that just even by thinking they're drawn and, and, and it's, it, you can see the power of the gospel persuading them, you know, like almost like the less pressure we apply, the more you can see like that they're being won over, they're being persuaded. Um, it never ceases to amaze me how quickly sometimes people 
can their their firmly held convictions come crumpling down when they're confronted with the truth of the gospel? I remember once um, help, we've got like a group of people that do kind of youth work on the streets every Friday night, talking to all the young people of our town, um, giving them hot chocolate, doing the Christian thing, chatting to them, loving them. And I remember once um, I I went along and there was a young person that had specifically wanted to meet me because he wanted to tell me why he wasn't a Christian and why he was a convinced atheist. And he'd read the book, The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. And so he, he, he was confident in his, his, his atheism. And we, we just sat down and chatted. And it was obvious to me as I just started to give like a few subtle responses, really gentle responses to some of the things that he believed was saying. I thought, you've never heard the other side of the argument, have you? You've just, you've just taken one book and built your, your belief system on this. And I'm just saying a few things to make you think. And I could see him really like, oh, like, like you're making me think. And, and I just had this sneaky suspicion. I wonder if you're not so far from God after all. So I asked him this question with a little bit of a sneaky motive. I said to him, so, are you, you know, like, are you open-minded then? Do you, th- do you, you know, like, would, would, do you think it, are you open to the possibility that it might be true? Like, for example, if I prayed for you tonight and you got healed, would you believe then? Would, you, would, you, would, that, would that open your mind? Because I thought in the back of my mind, I wonder, I wonder if he wants prayer. And it was funny, he said, there is something you could pray for. And I thought, whoa, we've got here already. You'd come to tell me how you were such a firm atheist and now you're telling me there is something that I can pray for you about. And he said that he was really struggling with anxiety. He was having panic attacks. He was on medication. He was seeing a counsellor every week. That There'd been some kind of loss in his life that he'd not been able to cope with. And I said, well, let's pray. And I said, just... So I warn you, don't be freaked out if when I pray something actually happens. It, you know, sometimes we don't notice something happen in the moment, but sometimes we do. And so I prayed with him, and I, I can't remember what I prayed, but when, he op- when we finished praying and he opened his eyes, I looked at him and I thought, something's just happened to you. And I said, did something happen to you when I prayed, when I said those words? And he said, yeah. I felt a love, this feeling of love. I, I've, I've barely ever felt anything like this before. And I said, well, can I tell you what I think that is? I think that's God showing you his love, showing you the love that you could have if you, if you followed him. Does that make sense? And he nodded. We gave him a few books. And then he sort of disappeared into the night. Two months later, he turned up at IELTS course with 10 friends out of the blue. <laughs> and it, you think, there's such power. And at the end of that alpha course, I asked him and I said, so... By the way, what happened about your panic attacks and anxiety that we prayed about? And he went, oh, um, sheepishly, I didn't have any more panic attacks after you prayed for me. I stopped seeing the counsellor and I stopped taking drugs. For, I stopped taking medication. It's the power, isn't it? <laughs> the power of the gospel. Um, so Jesus calls it a seed. Acts talks about the, the, the gospel being like this living power. Um, my, my own illustration that I sometimes use is it's a, bit like, it's a bit like petrol. It's explosive when you apply the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, you know, preaching the gospel and sowing the seed of the gospel is a bit like covering pe- the world with petrol. <laughs> it only takes the spark, the light of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and big stuff happens. Um, we don't have the ability to make the fire. We can't make the seed grow. 
but we can cover the whole world in petrol. We can get the petrol everywhere. We can spray it. We can throw it everywhere. And, 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 at one, and, and you, there's that latent power there. It's there now. The, the Holy Spirit only has to come and... <laughs> and of course, when you, when you keep going and you see even one response, even just one person, it's worth it, isn't it? John Wesley used to pray something. He used to pray this. God, teach us the value of a soul. Whoa, what a prayer. Teach us the value of just one soul. You know, if all your life could ever achieve for God was to play your part in seeing just one soul, getting one for Christ, would it be worth it? Yes. There is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's just extraordinary, isn't it? Seeing even just that one person come to Jesus Christ because you know they passed from death to life. You know that the most profound transformation that could ever happen to a human being has just taken place. So that's what keeps me going. (laughs) That's what gets me going. (laughs) The power of the gospel. We see it here in this story. We see it in all the stories and we see it in every gospel preach. Secondly, the destiny of the gospel is the other thing that keeps me going and gets me going. When, when Peter preaches this gospel message and gets a response, in one sense, it sort of doesn't surprise us because we knew that something's coming. The, the, the whole of the Old Testament is kind of brimming with expectancy and it, it's an, that, 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 that something's coming, that something's about to break out, that something that was just, you know, that, that, was, that something's coming and it's not just going to come to just the Jews, it's going to go to the Gentiles. There's, there's something coming. There's something that's been promised. And um, Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And he's saying this message is not going to die out. This is not a fad. <laughs> it's going to go to the ends of the earth. Nicky Gumbel, a uh, London vicar, met with one of the editors of a national newspaper to see how they could work together to do something about the problems in society, such as poverty and trafficking. And the pri- reply they gave was the media see the church as an irrelevance. It's quite a haunting reply, isn't it? But it may comfort you to know <laughs> that God sees the church in a very different way to the media. The future destiny of the church and the gospel is in fact very bright. In Isaiah 2 verse 2, it says this, In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say... Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that he may walk and we may walk in his paths. You see, God wants to beautify his church and lift her up. The promise here is that one day she's going to get higher and lifted up. She's, she's going to become ever more radiant, ever more attractive to the world around, so much so that the nations of the world are going to stream to her. The gospel is going to continue to spread and the church is going to be raised up. These are amazing promises that run through, that the, the Bible's kind of pregnant with. And can we not already see them, so much of them coming to pass in our world? It didn't just stay in Jerusalem in the first century, did it? It's exploded to the corners of the world. Um, in almost every other continent of the world today, Christianity is growing. 
we just happen to be the one place in the world where the growth is a little bit more hidden or strange or different because there's a lot of nominal Christianity that's just kind of being washed away. And I think there are ways that we can already see that the church in the UK is becoming more radiant and more beautiful again. I mean, think about what's going on. Who's, who's feeding the poor in our nation now? It's predominantly the church through food banks. Who's helping people out of debt? Significant stuff is being done by the church in this area. Who does over half of all the youth work in this nation? It's the church. Who does over half of all the helping of young parents? It's predominantly the church. And a non-Christian journalist recently wrote an article called Britain Needs Christianity. Crazy. And he says this about Christians. Where there is poverty, physical illness, mental illness, unemployment, the people who see it and respond are disproportionately likely to be Christians. Realistically, the social fabric of this country would collapse without them. When the church is the church, when the church is who she's really meant to be, it's quite a beautiful thing. <laughs> it's quite a thing to behold. Um, G.K. Chesterton um, once famously said this, on five occasions the history of the church has gone to the dogs, but on each occasion it was the dogs that died. <laughs> and there's a lot of fads, aren't there, out there. There's a lot of things that come and go. I mean, you probably see this even more like in London. You're like, there's, a, there's always a new thing. You know, there's a new thing that everyone's really into. It's so faddish, isn't it? But what people think's the answer. The dieting answers always change, don't they? In the fields of psychology, you know, like yesterday's unanimous opinion about what was the answer is today's kind of laughing stock, isn't it? Like, it was only the other day I read a, a massive sort of substantial sort of investigation into cognitive behavioural therapy, basically saying it doesn't really work. We've, we've all come, you know, like a significant number of psychologists have changed their minds. And that happens just all the time. You know, like, we, we, we think we've got the answer, don't we? But let's be honest the next generation are going to mock us for a lot of the things that we did, a lot of the things that this generation believed, and the next generation will mock them. But the gospel, the gospel's been the same for 2,000 years. Preached in season, preached out of season, and it's still here. It still stands. It's past the test of time. There's a timelessness here um, because it was because of its de promised destiny. <laughs> it's fulfilling its destiny. It's what the Bible said would happen. And so we've got to think rightly about the gospel and we've got to think rightly about the church. One pastor said this, I cannot afford to have a thought in my head about me that is not his. And I think that's very true for us as the church. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. We need to look, we need to take the long view of what God is doing. The gospel and the church have a great destiny. And they also have a great history, don't they? There's some amazing things that God has done, even in this nation, that we can inspire ourselves again by. In 1780, church going in our nation declined to virtually nothing. And the existing churches were very pagan. There were 10,000 prostitutes on the streets of London. There were massive problems with gambling and drinking. But God raised up people like John Wesley and George Whitfield, men who preached the gospel up and down this country. 
And there was a man called Robert Rakes who said, why can't the children in our society hear about Jesus? And so he started Sunday schools. In 1780, there were only a handful of Sunday schools. By 1831, there were 1.25 million children in Sunday schools. And so we can be, we can, because we've got great promises, we can, we can afford to be bold and confident and, and indignant and do something about it. I, I remember the Who Cares mission, which is something that sort of began in Attleborough. It began with a, really sen- a real sense of dissatisfaction with what was going on in our county. I remember being in one meeting where a group of people were sharing about a mission that had happened in the 1980s in Norwich, where all the youth groups in churches had brought all their young people to central Norwich. Thousands of them had gathered to hear the gospel, and 800 young people had given their lives to Christ. And as I was hearing the story, I was like, that's so amazing. I was like, that's so awesome. We should do that again. And then they all kind of went quite solemn and said, well, we, we couldn't do that again. And I went, why? And they said, because most of those youth groups don't exist anymore. What do you mean most of those youth groups don't exist anymore? I said, well, most of those youth groups across Norfolk that brought young people, now those churches are just full of old people. And something in me, like, really broke. I was like, whoa. And And I remember thinking, something's got to be done. Something's got to be done about this. There's so many people in Norfolk who've never heard the gospel. We've got to do something about it. We've got to reach them. We've got to do something. And, and who cares grew out of that. And we ended up mobilising the church in Norfolk to personally engage with 50,000 people in our, in our town, county. But it began with this indigna, indignation. But also there's a confidence that we can have. We can afford to be bold and confident because we're, we've got these great promises. The, boss, the gospel has a great destiny. That's what keeps me going. Thirdly, the devastating beauty of the gospel. The gospel touches the heart. When Paul preached, they were cut to the heart. There's a kind of devastating beauty to the gospel that both draws people in and wounds. And, um, you know, it's, the, the gospel's inspired so much music, hasn't it? Christianity is such a musical religion in the world that we just do so much singing. You know, I don't know any other worldview or religion that just sings so much. And it's, <laughs> we, we love to sing, we love to make up songs because there's a beauty here. We've got, we've got a lady in our church who um, her daughter asked her the who cares question, which is what hurts you the most. And she answered it and then she got invited to lots of the things our church were doing to respond. And she just stuck around in our church ever since. We, she was asking just questions, so many questions. Um, but, and, and it was sort of hard to know what God was doing in her life. But at the end of last year, we started to become a bit suspicious that something was going on because she looked like she was enjoying the worship. And we thought, like, what's going on here? And I, so I met with her at the beginning of this year and I sort of was like, so, how's it going? And <laughs> you and Jesus. And she went, oh... And she, she said to me, with, she, she shared to me with tears, I do believe now. I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he's risen from the dead. And when I worship, I feel like my, my heart is flooded with joy. There's a beauty, isn't it, that, that woos us and devastates us at the same time. Um, and God is a marvel, isn't he? What he's done for us is extraordinary and beyond words. 
You know, the, the first marvel that we see is that you know, Jesus has come, the incarnation. Such a beautiful truth, isn't it? That God's come among us in Jesus. He's Emmanuel. He's one of us. C.S. Lewis used to say that the only way that Hamlet could know Shakespeare is if Shakespeare wrote himself into the play. And that is what God has done in Jesus. He's come among us. He, he's come into our world. He's written himself in so that we can know him. And I marvel at this. I just marvel at it. One of my favourite, I love songs and poems about it. Um, here's my favourite one. What kind of greatness can this be that chose to be made small? Exchanging untold majesty for a world so pitiful that God should come as one of us, I'll never understand. The more I hear the story told, the more amazed I am. The one in whom we live and move in swaddling clothes lies bound. The voice that cried, let there be light, asleep without a sound. The one who strode among the stars and called each one by name lies helpless in a mother's arms and must learn to walk again. What greater love could he have shown to shamed humanity? Yet human pride hates to believe in such deep humility. But nations now may see his grace and know that he is near when his meek heart, his words, his works are incarnate in us here. It's a wonder, isn't it? He's come among us. He wrote himself into our world. But it's also a devastating beauty because as, as Peter says in his sermon, he turns on his audience, but you kill them. And of course, this crowd, many of them were the crowd crying out, crucify. And yet, in a way, we've all, we were all in the crowd. We were all crying, crucify. If you'd have been there, you'd have said the same thing. Because we've been defying him and we've been ignoring him since we were born. It's not just the things that we do wrong, is it? It's, the, it's all the ways that we've replaced him. It's all the ways that we've ignored this beautiful saviour and lived our life as our own king, as our own Lord. In, you know, Peter says to his audience, you killed Jesus, but in a way we all did. <laughs> we, we were the reason he had to die. It was our sin that held him there. And we're all like sheep, really. That's what the Bible says. We all go along with the crowd. We all go with the flow. We're, we, we all, we're all foolish, and in our hearts, we didn't want there to be another king. We wanted to be the king. And so we see here that he should be, he should be judging us <laughs> for this. He should have given up on us. But it's his delight to show mercy and kindness. He loves to display to the whole world his amazing grace. That's what he's done. Such a beauty, <laughs> but it's such a wound, isn't it? Because we... If we'd have been there, we'd have joined in just like the rest. We're no different, not really. We're all the same, really. The Bible is very, very, very unifying because it says that all have sinned and fall sort of the glory of God. We're all the same, really. We've all, we've all, we've all turned from him. When we're faced with such beauty, we realise it's not, we don't share it. And so this is what keeps me going, this amazing beautiful message I mean I love talking about it and I love even even like when you're sharing it with someone who doesn't know it it, it warms my heart 
just in that conversation, I feel it comes alive in me again as I see them seeing it and I'm seeing it and we're just going, wow, together. It's a beautiful thing that God has done. So that's what keeps me going. (laughs) The power of the gospel, the destiny of the gospel, the devastating beauty of the gospel. Some of you here really do need to give, give in to Jesus. You know, like, stop trying to run, stop trying to hide. Surrender to him. There's so much good that so many of your fears about following him are just baseless. They're not really based on anything. You're, you're actually in real danger if you don't. You know, the, the, the greatest threat to you is not what will happen if I become a Christian, but what will happen if I don't? You've got so much to lose. Today, I plead with you. That's what, Pete, that's what Paul did. He pleaded with you. Save yourself from this corrupt world that we live in. Save yourself. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Some of you here need to get out there and tell people about this stuff. We had a blast, didn't we, yesterday afternoon, inviting people to the Christmas stuff that you've got planned next week. One of the responses was, it was easy. It's not, that, it's not even that hard, is it? We can, it's, a great, it's a great thing. You know, the, the, um, they say that if you invite 10 people, one person will come. Now, some people find that deflating, but I find that encouraging. If I just hit 10, the statistics are with me. <laughs> How cool would it be if everybody here invited 10 people, maybe more? Um, how many might come, might hear about Jesus Christ? I think that would be awesome. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you. You have entrusted into our hands something that is so powerful. There's a power here that could set the world on fire. We, Father, we want to thank you that you've... You've given us something with so many great and precious promises. Uh, We thank you that the gospel will flourish and go to the ends of the earth. We thank you, God, that you've, you've given us a message of such extraordinary beauty and majesty. It's so wonderful. Father, would you help us to make Jesus known? Help us to be bold. Help us to keep going. Help us not to give up doing good and what we know to be right and true and we pray that you would your kingdom would come in Camden and London and the UK we we Lord we cry out to you for this nation have mercy on this nation we don't deserve it but you've shown such mercy to us so mercy to our land please father intervene there's so much going wrong that it's just not acceptable We've had enough of it, God. We want you to intervene. We know that your gospel is the only hope for our nation. We pray that you would raise up men and women who would go to the ends of the earth with this message. And Father, I pray that you would birth in people creative dreams and ideas about what could be done. What am I going to do about this? Something's got to be done. Father, I I remember saying those words and I pray that you would birth in these people dreams again to take the, the gospel of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Something must be done. Father, help us. Send your Holy Spirit. We know that you have. Thank you for the Spirit. Thank you for your power that makes all of this possible. 
Glorify your name. <coughs> Glorify yourself. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen.